Let me open us in prayer real quick. Father God, Lord, thank you for this time. Um, thank you for grace and Jesus. Um, I hope that uh, you are honored here, God. Let all that we say just bring glory to you, God, and just just let your light shine, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, like he said, or he didn't say, my name is Chris Robbins. This is my beautiful bride, Sharice. Uh, we've been married 15 years, and tonight we would just like to share our story of, of just how God worked in us and through us. Uh, this is my lovely bride and I, and then there are two youngest children, Cade and Carly. And then, believe it or not, that is our grandbaby and our oldest son and our daughter-in-law. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I was born in Arlington, Texas, and I've lived in the Dallas area all my life. I was raised across the street from my grandparents and a few houses down from all of my aunts and uncles and cousins. Uh, we were and we still are a pretty close family. Uh, my parents and I went to church on Sundays, and then we never really discussed it until the next Sunday. I never saw my parents fight, and I had no idea there was a problem until one afternoon when I was 13. They brought me into the kitchen and began to tell me how they still loved me, but my dad was going to move out. Um, that's really all I remember about how that conversation went, and, and I really didn't have any idea what a divorce was. It wouldn't be long until I understood. My dad moved out, and my mom's new friend soon moved in. My relationship with my, bro- my mother would never be the same, and in fact, we still don't talk today. And my story starts with a broken home when I was three years old. My mom immediately remarried, and I had a new dad and new grandparents. When I was eight, they had a daughter, and soon I became the stepchild. My biological dad dated a little bit, um, but him and I were really close until I was 12, and that's when he started dating my new stepmom. They started their own family with two boys, and I was soon forgotten again. Neither of my parents ever went to church, but I would go with friends on occasion and to vacation Bible school in the summer. Um, I lived with my mom, my stepdad, and my sister, and because my mom was sexually abused when um, she was young by her stepfather, there was a lot of tension in um, her life with her and my stepdad in the house. Their problems were talked about openly around me and to me, and this gave me a very tainted view of sex and marriage. My mom showed love by buying us things, which eventually landed her in prison in September of 1991 for embezzling money from the bank that employed her. I was 19, about to get married for the first time and have my first son without my mom. This is way more complicated than it should be. (laughs) Sharice and I met when I was 19 at a mutual friend's house um, at a party with a lot of beer, of course. We dated for five years before we got married. I told her if we could live together for a year, then we would get married, and we did. It didn't matter that I had some huge issues like drinking too much, selfishness, and pride, just to name a few. So we got married, and I figured now that we were married, it was a fresh start. I thought we would just sweep all the bad things under the rug and start new, and I was wrong. I was drinking daily, and the things I had done to Sharice while we were dating, like frequently going to strip clubs, broken promises, and just being a selfish jerk, were just as painful now that we were married. I also thought our intimacy and communication issues would be gone. I was wrong again. I had a whole slew of expectations that were all about to be unmet. Of course, that would all be Sharice's fault because there was nothing wrong with me, and it was all her and her issues. Our first two years of dating were great, but once Chris turned 21, things started to change. As he mentioned earlier, his life was spiraling out of control. Chris and I found out I was pregnant, and after a lot of crying on my part and fear from Chris, we decided to have an abortion. 
All of my insecurities started to come out in a terrible way. I was angry, depressed, controlling, and just hard to be around. But at the same time, I was so scared of losing Chris. I told Sharice that I didn't want a baby and that she would basically be doing it alone again. I told her that an abortion would be the best option. I had no idea the damage that that decision would cause in both of our lives. My mom was released from prison after nine long months, but she did not come home like she had promised. It was during this time that her addiction to pills turned into an alcohol addiction. She was never around, and when she was, it was drunken chaos. She was with men who abused her, and I just could not understand what had happened to the mother I once knew. All of this made Chris very angry towards my mom, and the pattern of her drinking and me rescuing her went on for several years. She finally stopped drinking, and when she found out she had chronic pancreatitis, or when she found out she had chronic pancreatitis, and she spent a few good years with my sister, me, and her six grandkids before she passed away from her illness on January 3rd of 2010. I was angry. I didn't understand why she had to die when she finally started to be normal. In June, my ex-husband committed suicide and left my son devastated. Again, I was asking why. My grandmother, whom was my rock, also passed away on January 25th of the same year. I was so lost, angry, and hurt that I didn't feel like I could be a wife to an alcoholic anymore or a full-time mom to three kids. So I packed up my stuff and moved out. It was during this time that a friend from work invited me to Watermark. Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He used my mom's death and my brokenness to draw me close to him. I had been involved with other women, and I had either told on myself to get attention, or Sharice had discovered it from a mistimed text. We were both living separate lives, just meeting at home to cohabitate in the same house and to try raising our children. I was busy trying to prove I was a man and making sure I was off work by four so I could swing by the beer store in time to have the kids picked up by six. The only reason that we didn't fight was because we really didn't talk. People around us thought we were the perfect married couple, that we were really happy. My drinking had led to some pretty intense paranoia, and one morning I woke up before Sharice and noticed that her email was open. I found some things that pushed me over the edge, and God was about to use this to show me who was in control. I confronted her with what I'd found, and she began to tell me it was nothing. She was only talking with an old friend. But because of my paranoia and my recent experience with only talking to old friends, I knew what this was. I told her I wanted a divorce, and I told her that I all but hated her, and she said, fine, and began to find her own place to live. A couple of days went by, and I began to see that this time was different. From all of the times before, she was serious. She was really leaving. Well, this caused something inside of me to scream, wait, she was really leaving. How could this be? She can't leave me. Who leaves me? I begged. the truth. I begged, I cried, I pleaded and said whatever I thought I had to, but it was too little too late. Whether or not I even knew or believed that God may exist, my marriage was something that I'd placed higher than God. Sharice was as fed up with me as I thought I was with her. She told me I needed to get help for my drinking and that she needed time to find herself. Before she left, I was able to check myself into an intensive outpatient program or rehab, and I got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know Christ yet and turned to the only place I knew the world. My family and friends told me horrible but well-intentioned advice. You deserve to be happy. You should throw all of her crap out in the yard. Change the lock. She's going to take all your money. Move on. You'll find someone who will make you happy. And on and on and on. In AA, I met men who began to tell me about spirituality. These men were sober, and they were actually happy about it. Some of these men were really passionate for Christ, so I asked them about him. I'd heard of him, but I I didn't have enough money or do enough good to get into heaven. But these guys acted a lot like me, and they didn't have a lot of money. So I decided to wait before I voted myself out. 
I was still unaware that all I had to do to be saved was just accept Christ and believe that he died on the cross for me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This was the first time in my life I was allowed and comfortable talking about my struggles with lust, porn, alcohol, and lying. Up until this point in my life, I was all alone, trying to do everything myself. I really think God used these men to start the process of me fixing me. After Sharice and I had been separated for two months, she informed me that she was going to sign a one-year lease on her new place, and all I really heard was, I hate you and I want a divorce. So with my newfound wisdom and spirituality in hand, I was going to show her. This was the end of us as far as I could see. I felt really alone and helpless. So I pulled some money from my retirement account to buy a motorcycle and a divorce. Those two things just seemed to go, good. (laughs) You know, yeah, I'm not proud of it, but it's the truth. Uh, But God had other plans. Before I met my new attorney, I needed to buy some new work boots. After I purchased them, I was headed down the road to my new friend, the attorney, who advised me to go ahead and file for divorce. That way, if she files, I'm there first. And that sounded good to me. But on my way there, I hit a truck, literally. Um, I went under the trailer of an 18-wheeler and had to be taken to the hospital. I called my wife to mention my little accident and told her not to worry. I'd call her after I left the hospital. You see, I had no idea God was working in my life, that he had all of this under control. When I arrived at the hospital, there was my bride. She was scared and actually concerned for me, and this was something I did not expect. I saw love and the fear of losing me in her eyes, and I had not seen that in a very long time. Two days later, she moved back home, but it was not all roses and chocolate. After I recovered and she knew I was going to live, our problems got worse. (laughs) Yeah, that's us. I didn't want to be that wife that left (laughs) a broken husband. (laughs) And then he died. Um, (laughs) I was scared to death that she was going to leave again, and the fear was consuming me. It was all I could think about. I went from angry to smothering. After a few months of this, I was beat, and I was done. I couldn't go on like this anymore, and I was completely exhausted, and it showed. I was going to Watermark on a regular basis, but really not feeling God changing my heart. I knew that Chris was lucky to be alive, and I felt like I needed to move back home, so I did. Things were still not good between us. I wasn't ready to be back home, and he was smothering me. I decided Chris would be better off if I divorced him since I made him so miserable. I shared my decision with a friend of mine who is on staff here at Watermark, and she begged me to try reengage, and I agreed. Luke 10, 11, or 11.10 says, For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. I will say that I did not go willingly. I told Chris I was not going to talk or say anything. I didn't want people to know my business, but most of all, I didn't want to talk anything that would hurt me inside. We had the most amazing facilitators, Dwight and Bitsy Fletcher. It was about week five when I finally decided to engage. The topic was honesty, and I had not been honest with my husband. I had beaten him up for several years about affairs when I had done the same thing. It was an eye-opening experience for me. For the first time, I felt God changing my heart towards Chris and owning my part of the disaster that we created. I have to say that I was skeptical about God being able to make me want to stay married to Chris, but I tell you the truth, he did it. The rest of our experience in Reengage was amazing. God changed our hearts so much in so many ways. I learned to communicate, respect, and love Chris through God's way of marriage. God is the center of our family now. Our kids, family, and friends all see the amazing change in us. Some people don't like the new Robbins family, but that's okay because we live for God, and that gives us peace every day. I don't have to wall up anymore with Chris. We communicate more effectively now. 
I have learned how to ask him for forgiveness, although sometimes I'm still very prideful. We are both on the same page with the way that we live our lives and we raise the way that we raise our kids. Chris reads his Bible every morning and makes sure that the family stays on track with our walk. We love to serve as a family and just be together. When I met Chris, neither one of us had ever talked about going to church. We did discuss how churches had hurt us in the past, and we just lived a sinful life thinking um, our sins were too much to be forgiven for. Watermark's abortion ministry, Someone Cares, really showed me I could be forgiven by God. I can tell you that no matter what your background is or what sins you have committed, there is a glorious God that will forgive you and change your heart. You have to listen, be still, pray, and pay attention, but He is there. Bad things will happen, and somehow it always glorifies Him and brings us closer to Him. Psalm 139, 23-24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So if there is any... If there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. When Sharice told me about reengage and asked me if I would be willing to try it, I didn't really want to, but figured I was getting a divorce anyway, so what could it hurt? Maybe she would finally see that the problem was all her, and we could change her. And I sat right over there somewhere, and I actually asked God to give me the strength and patience to wait for him to change her. And just so you know, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't. <laughs> There were many nights that we showed up separately, and I had instructions from Sharice not to expect her to share. I, on the other hand, will share with a light pole. I had no problem throwing our junk out there. After a few weeks of open group, we got into a closed group with the Fletchers, and God used Dwight and Bitsy to pretty much tell us how it was. We were both selfish and treating each other like jerks. They told us we could either hold on to the past for the rest of our lives or begin to change and forgive one another. The first eight to ten weeks of closed group were really, really tough, but something was happening. Sharice and I were doing the work, and God was working in our hearts and in our lives. We were talking about things that we had not ever been able to talk about and actually made some progress on changing them. We were extending each other grace and really forgiving. For the first time in my relationship, I was seeing my wife as something special, a blessing, and not a curse. Ephesians 5.33 says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The Lord was moving my heart to place him first and her second, and it was starting to show up everywhere else in my life. I began reading my Bible daily and seeking the wise counsel of Christian men. I was gaining patience and humility, two things I'd really been lacking in the past. I was able to own my part of why things were the way they were and to see that it was me and not her that needed to be fixed. I really, I finally realized that no one was coming to bring me the husband of the decade award. I was actually pl- praying for my wife and her well-being instead of for her demise. I began to think about how things would affect her and how I might feel if I were in those situations. My perspective was changing, and so was my life. For the first time, I was asking this question, how do I biblically lead my family? The old me had no clue that there was an instruction manual for life and how to live it, the Bible. I was never concerned about my relationship with Christ. I'd never thought to ask Him for advice when I had a decision to make, and I never valued my wife's thoughts on those decisions before. I never looked to the Word before giving advice. I was beginning to share all of my struggles with other men and expecting them to hold me accountable and giving them permission to tell me the truth and give me biblical advice. I started asking myself what part I played in my situation and why was I doing what I was doing. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is still wrong. I began to seek forgiveness and really repent. This is something that was really a struggle for me, asking for forgiveness, because that means that I actually had to admit admit that I did something wrong and validate my wife's feelings. We still wrestle with a lot of the same things today, but we handle them in a whole different way. For the first time in my adult life, there is peace in my house more nights than turmoil. I've quit telling Sharice what to do and started asking what she wants to do. 
one of my biggest accomplishments is that I stopped doing things and expecting something in return. I still struggle with lust and dishonesty, but now I have a true accountability partner, my wife. I've learned that Christ never gave up on me and that he loves me in spite of myself. God was with me all along, even when I wasn't sure he existed. All that I had to do was submit, admit that I needed Christ, and seek his will. I'm not alone any longer. No matter the situation, it's all right. Christ is enough. I would like to close with this, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you guys for letting us share.